Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Good. It's good to be together this morning. So we are continuing our series, Untangled. Obviously, we are team teaching today, so this is an exciting time, as Pastor Dave rests today after Bethany's wedding. So congratulations to them. Yeah. That's amazing. That it's was good. big. Yeah, we can yes. give them a round yeah, of applause. Yeah. <laughs> Good? Yes, it's a very emotional day seeing, you know, Dave give away his daughter. That was, yeah. That yeah, really you, were, you had a quivering lip at one point. You yeah, were. I was, yeah, I was definitely not doing well, but it was right. great. It was great. It was great. So, yes, so we are continuing, obviously, our series called Untangled. So what are tangled myths? So just a reminder, Pastor Dave has been talking about tangled things that we are tangled in. So sometimes those are things that we don't want in life, the things we are prone to do that we don't like, that tie us down. Uh, He used the picture of running a race with ropes uh, wrapped around your feet. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're we're speaking about, how to get untangled from those things. So I know you just sat, but why don't you stand if we're able? We're going to just be um, reading Hebrews 12, Mm -hmm. our passage to ponder this morning. Mm -hmm. We're just going to read it together. Pastor Dave always says, so your neighbor can hear. So say it loud, say it proud, and we're just going to read it together. Mm Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance and race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. The word of the Lord for us. Yes, amen. <laughs> so, I want to kind of give you some context. So if you have your Bible this morning, you can open up to Matthew 4. We're going to be talking about when Jesus went into the desert and he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. So I first want to give you just some context on Matthew and the chapters before it. So um, the gospel according to Matthew is one of the earliest accounts of Jesus. So this is the first account in the New Testament of his life, his death, his resurrection. And it paints a picture of us before Matthew 4 um, where Jesus is getting baptized. So John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus to come and he gets baptized in the Jordan River. And this is important for kind of what I'm speaking on next, but when Jesus comes out of the water after being baptized, a dove actually descends, and they say that the heavens opened, and um, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and it settled on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So we're gonna remember the dearly loved part, okay? Mm So we see how Jesus in Matthew connects to the Old Testament prophecies, um, and John the Baptist knew that um, Jesus was the king that God promised to send to his people. So this is just a glorious moment. Jesus is being baptized. John the Baptist knows that this is God's son, and now Jesus, that he's been baptized, he's beginning his journey. And now he knows it's time to start the work that God has sent him to do on earth. So we get into Matthew 4, verse 1. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and he became very hungry. So in this passage, we see 
the devil is tempting Jesus in three main ways. And you know, we work in threes here. So the first one is the devil tempted Jesus with a physical thing. So verse three to four says, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we see that Jesus here is being tempted by the devil to turn stones into bread. And of course, Jesus is fasting, he's hungry, and the devil is using that to tempt him. And if you guys know about fasting or being hungry, it's hard. And you know, he's mentioning bread, and you know, that's a weakness. So we're, 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 we're going to debunk this a bit. But what I'm trying to get at is that the devil tempts us when we are weak. And you're gonna talk about that more, Gary, about when we're vulnerable, how we can actually fall into these entanglements and fall into these temptations. So, essentially, the devil was tempting Jesus to do what feels right and not what was right. So, he's like, Jesus, if you're hungry, turn the stones into bread and eat. Why not? And see, in this moment, we see that the devil was trying to actually tempt Jesus with his flesh and appeal to something that his flesh wanted and not something that his heart needed at the moment. Because, of course, he was fasting, trying to get closer to God in that time. So, number one, he tempts us with physical things and to satisfy our flesh. So, this could be food. This could be so many things that we may believe we need. But, obviously, in that moment, he was fasting. So, he was being obedient to God by not taking into the temptation. Number two, the devil was tempting Jesus with an emotional thing. So verse seven, verse five to seven says, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test Lord your God. So what's being tested here, right? So we see that Jesus is being tempted to jump off a high building. And Jesus says, don't test the Lord your God. So what the devil is trying to do in this moment is, well, I actually call it an emotional temptation because it's almost like the devil is trying to tempt God's emotions and tempt him to actually doubt God. And this is where this connection comes back from when he was being baptized, because the dove descended, the heavens opened, and it says, this is my dearly loved son. So Jesus actually knew how loved he was by God in that moment. But the devil is trying to say, it's okay. It's okay. You can jump. He'll protect you. If he loves you so much, jump, right? So he's actually trying to test your emotions and make you doubt God. So we see that in this Jesus, he stayed strong and he, he didn't fall into that temptation, but he was tested in that situation for how much he trusted in God. So yes, now we move, we move into number three. Mm -hmm. So then the devil tempts Jesus with material goods. So verse eight to 10 says, Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I will give it all to you, and if you will kneel down and worship me. Hmm. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Hmm. 
So this is kind of what I would call a control temptation or material goods temptation, where the devil is tempting Jesus to take over the throne. And as we know, Jesus' point um, here in this moment is to come onto earth to start his own journey and to create to establish his kingdom here on earth. So we know that, you know, Satan is using that as a way to show Jesus to follow the way of others and not follow the way of God. Follow the will of others and not the will of God. So praise God, he didn't fall for it, you know? <laughs> Jesus stayed strong. But we're gonna talk about how in this, in this moment when Jesus was being tempted with material goods, those are the things that we probably feel tempted the most sometimes. It could be fame, it could be fortune, it could be money, all those things, right? So, but Jesus says you must only worship the Lord your God and must only serve him. So we see the, the devil tempts Jesus with a physical thing, more about the way you feel rather than what's good for you, what you should believe, right? To satisfy our flesh rather than what God gives to us. And then the devil tempts us to doubt, to doubt God and not believe God's truth and what we know from God and to you know, follow your emotions more than where God might be speaking to you or, or drawing to you, right? And then number three, the devil tries to tempt us to control our own path, control our own way, to follow the materials and you know, the, the wealth of the world and, and things like that. But we see in these three temptations that Jesus, one, countered it with scripture, right? And he mm -hmm. used his discernment and his spirit and the power of the word to, to counter that, right? And we see that, I know you're gonna talk about this more, but we, you see when he's as vulnerable and he's at his lowest possible state, he's not alone because God's there with him, right? Mm -hmm. And God is guiding him through that. So yeah, you're going to speak more about that. But um, yeah, Gary, why don't you tell us what you think? First yeah. of all, Pastor Lisa, that was excellent. All right. This is your first time doing I that. Was that was excellent. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank well you. done. <laughs> well done. Praise God. Very great job, right? Because as you're talking and, and you're sitting there and I'm, I'm listening, I'm thinking, you're right. You know, the enemy of our souls he, he understands human behavior very, very well, right? He's been studying humans for centuries and centuries, and he tempts us at our physical needs, yeah. our emotional needs, our desire for just things, right? Mm -hmm. We can be vulnerable, right? And he did an excellent job just showing that, right? Because that's how he tempted Jesus, and he tempts mm -hmm. us in very much the same way. And I like what you're saying there, Pastor Alicia, that, you know, um, Jesus wasn't alone in it. Yeah. And um, this, is, this is very good. And, and you know, it, it begs the question as to why the enemy even tempts us in the beginning, right? Like, why does he even do so? And really, the, the enemy, he tempts us. His whole point is to cause separation. He wants you to be separated from your neighbor, wants families divided, wants husband and wife at odds, wants communities against one another. And he wants us, most importantly, in his agenda, is to be separated from the God who loves us, right? We have to recognize that as a tactic from the very beginning, just to understand that that is the purpose. I think when we're aware of that, we can actually pause and catch some of our emotions and the things that we're feeling, right? So let's just be very aware of that. And we're gonna go back to the beginning, um, Alicia and everyone here, we're gonna go back to the beginning. We're gonna look at where some of our troubles that we suffer with today when it all started. And it's this, it's a sad story, really. 
And we're going to go to the beginning, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, right? It's in your version Bible notes, and uh, if you have your physical or electronic Bible, it's there. The words will be on the screen. So Genesis chapter 3, this is after um, creation. Um, this is, you know, this is uh, God has created man and woman. He called it very good, and it's this beautiful thing. And now we see the enemy of our souls personified in the serpent here. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? It sounds very much like mm -hmm. uh, Satan tempting Jesus there, right? He's, he's questioning what God's saying. It sounds very much like that. And says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But, she says, God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. The woman does a great thing here, right? And again, the woman kind of seems like how Jesus does when we fast forward into the New Testament. The woman quotes what God says, right? That's a good thing to do. Quote what God said. The woman heard it directly, and we have it, thankfully, written for us. But here comes the lie, verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. This, this, this evil lie. And then he continues. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, here comes the temptation, right? The fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, this material good that you were talking about, right? Yeah. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And it continues, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Out of concern, where are you? The man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Oh, Father, help us, right? That's the beginning of all our troubles. Friends, I don't want to make it... Uh, uh, too depressing in here, but this is the reason why we got struggles today. This is the reason why we die. We all have a meeting that we cannot avoid with our maker. Every single person in this room, every single person outside of this room, we all have that appointment that we cannot avoid. And it's because of this moment here. And it's very sad. It's very sad. It's been harmful. It's the reason why we struggle. And they, they do die, as the, the serpent lies. They, the people do die and because sin leads to death. And, and we see this in, this in the story. It's just so, uh, it, it's very tragic because we see that the moment that they succumb to temptation, all of a sudden now there's separation between husband and wife, right? They start to hide themselves. There's shame amongst, in a relationship where there should be no shame. There should be freedom and beauty and love and glory, and there's shame there. And then it continues. They start to hide from the God who loves them, right? You know, Adam recognizes, and he's hiding himself. And we've been spending eternity, all our lives, hiding, and we have to get past that. And friends, you know, temptation here, let's be very clear. Temptation can come 
in many, many forms, right? There are temptations that have to do with food. There are temptations that have to do with spending and money. We are tempted to lie. We are tempted to gossip. We can be tempted, uh, tempted uh, to, towards gambling and risking things. Um, we, we're tempted on social media. There's sexual temptation. There's temptations to respond in anger, temptations to disengage. Temptations do not stop, right? If you're in this room, you, I know, you struggle with temptation because I struggle with temptation, and we all do. And from the moment that Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, the moment they sinned, there was something that was just happened in our bodily functions where sin actually starts to reign within us, and now we are battling it. This this constant struggle that we have, and it's this thing now that every generation that came afterwards, we struggle with it. And so temptations, there are many. We're going to look at a couple of them today. Okay, and we can find that, you know, just like you can be tempted to disengage or tempted to respond to anger, you can actually, once we are separated, once we, um, uh, we commit that sin and there's like a separation, we can be tempted to isolate. Okay, and we're, we're going to look at this because when we are separated after sinning, you know, there's just this brief separation where we want to hide, where we want to maybe disengage from other people. Um, we can actually amplify that further by isolating ourselves between God and others. So, just as I said, that tendency can be to run because we can be afraid. Here's something that's really good for us to know, right? When you do yield to temptation and you sin, do not do a natural tendency to cover up, to cover yourself, to run away from God. Keep short accounts to God. Run to the God who loves you. Run to the God who lavishes grace all over you, right? Keep a short account. Ask God for strength to not do it again in the next moment, right? And we don't want to be able to do that. Or sorry, many times we actually, we don't do that. That's not our response, and we isolate ourselves. And here's the trouble with doing that. We find that loneliness and isolation, they actually increase temptation. Have you found that? It makes it harder. Loneliness and isolation they amplify all of our temptations. I think it's no coincidence, as Pastor Lisa was saying, that when Jesus is tempted the most, he was actually brought by himself to the wilderness, right? And we have to remember here, Jesus is different from us, right? His, uh, Jesus' temptations, they're all external, right? He has no internal temptations because no, he doesn't know sin. So Jesus' temptations are all um, external. They're coming at him. But when he's at his most vulnerable point by himself in the um, in the wilderness for 40 days, that's when it's heightened. Satan heightens it. For you and I, we have internal temptations because we are battling our lower nature. We have internal temptations and we have a world that reminds us of things we've been tempted with and it's just so easy for us. And when we are alone, it is amplified to the next degree. Um, we want to be also be clear. Loneliness, it doesn't cause us to sin, Right? Loneliness doesn't cause us to sin, but it can make it easier to go down that path. Remember our acronym. We said it many times over the years here at King Street, if you've been here. HALT, the acronym HALT, right? If you're hungry, angry, or if you're lonely, or if you're tired, all these things amplify your need um, and your, your proclivity to sin. 
And again, after we sin, you know, it might feel, uh, we might feel shame, which causes us to further isolate ourselves. And isolation makes us very vulnerable. You know, uh, Pastor David talked about last week this, this passage from 1 Peter, right? It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's just this picture of the lone sheep is more vulnerable than they think, right? The person who just thinks, you know what? I'm just going to, I can grin and bear it. I have uh, just an immense amount of willpower. Some people have a, a, a very strong amount of willpower. But just doing it on your own, you're more vulnerable than you may think. Okay, and then next point, as we're going on. Once we become isolated, our temptation actually is to focus inwardly, right? We tend to look at ourselves. And we see that loneliness. It's like this echo chamber, right? It's like this echo, echo chamber that just exaggerates uh, negative thinking and behavior, right? An echo chamber where you just, you know, it's just reverberating around you, all these types of negative thoughts that you just focus on. And in Ecclesiastes um, chapter 1, you can see, you meet a man, Solomon, and you, you meet a man who is struggling. Solomon is this person who, um, he's the son of King David, he has an exorbitant, just a ridiculous amount of wives and concubines and all these people. But as you read his story more and more, you start to realize he starts to pull back. He, he realizes and he lives a life that is totally unique and different from everyone else. He actually starts to isolate himself and his thinking reflects that. And in Ecclesiastes 1, it says it here, it says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. These are the thoughts that tend to preoccupy our minds when we are isolated, right? It's very easy to go down that road of depression and just these thoughts that we just start to ruminate and we fixate on. And it's very, very difficult to break that pattern. It's very difficult, right? Um, if you think of it, you know, we can have these thoughts where you, you start to think, you know, I'm unlovable or I'm unworthy. I've sinned before, and I'm going to do it again. So, so what's the point, right? You can just start to spiral and just have it go down further. And it's really, not, it's really not a good thing because this isolation, it doesn't help us to make good and healthy decisions, right? Spiraling is this really tough thing where you just start to say, what's the point? I've messed up. I'm going to mess up again. Why do I even try? And you start to just go down this path where it can be a very dangerous place to go, Right? And then we look at this in Proverbs. The writer of Proverbs says this. He says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Or another translation that says, or rebels against common sense. Friends, be very aware. When we have isolated ourselves and we're struggling and dealing with temptation, you might not be making the best decisions. There are times where we actually need to catch our thought patterns the way that we're thinking, and we need to pause and say, is this good and healthy and right? And you might need to find someone who's trusted and close to you that you can actually ask them and say, here's what I'm thinking because I'm not sure this is right. And there's no shame in doing that. You need people around you to help you, right? right. But when we do that, or when we isolate ourselves, we're actually going down this path to sometimes not make the best decisions. So, this is it, right? We've been talking about um, temptation, and you're not alone. And there's, there's some antidotes to it, right? And part of it is community. 
There are so many different things I think community can kind of help us. So we're going to look at some of community's antidotes to the temptations that come with loneliness and isolation. Um, you know, one of the things I think that's really good when you're brought into a spiritual community like we have here, um, you begin to think more uh, outwardly and upwardly, right? You know, when we're isolated and lonely, we're very self-focused. That can be what's all on our mind, and there, there can be good reasons for that because we struggle with difficult things. But when we're in community, we think outwardly and upwardly, and we look, uh, we look at the writer of Hebrews... And look what he says here in verse 10, uh, or sorry, in chapter 10, verse 24. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near, right? Jesus is coming back, friends. Do you understand that? Amen. He is coming back, and we have to remind ourselves, right? And we have to remind ourselves because the good news that Jesus is coming back is that things are going to be like the garden before the fall. Mm-hmm. They're going to be perfect and good. There's no shame and no sadness, no loneliness. We're in the presence of God. Creation itself will be good, right? I, I don't wonder if there will be winter because I think winter came after the fall. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm Jamaican, and so that's what I tend to think. I don't know, but things, the point is, things are going to be good and perfect and well, right? Jesus is coming back, and the writer of Hebrews says, let's motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that so nice? We're sitting in this room here because we're going to help each other to do better, that's so, so good. I, I want to take a minute to brag on my small group here, okay? <laughs> my small group over the summer, one of the, here's a few things we do over the summer. Um, we had our big church barbecue during our, um, during our camp week, right? And we had a massive church barbecue. In my small group, we had everyone in our small group in all kinds of different areas. We served hundreds of people along with other people um, as part of the church. We served hundreds of people in our community, right? It was a busy day, but it was so much fun. We fed the community around, and it was just so rewarding and so good. Some things that we did too, we gave gifts to persons who were sick or who were dealing with like injury. There were, there were some of us who had different various injuries, including myself and Maria. We were recipients of some gifts, some monetary gifts to just get a meal. It was a huge help, right? Um, we also helped one of our group members move. It was a lot of fun. We just go up there, we had some things, we were just making jokes all the time, and we helped one of our group members move, right? This is a way we were able to motivate each other to good works and to, um, and to love, right? It was, it was beautiful. Let's look at another way that community has an antidote to some of the temptations that come with loneliness and isolation. Um, we can look at the, the, I'm calling it the mathematics of community, right? Here's one thing. Burdens are divided. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ, right? Again, picture moving. If you're trying to move a couch by yourself, <laughs> it's quite difficult, isn't it? It's quite difficult. I, have, I don't have a reach that can lift up a couch on my own. But it's just amazing how you have one person on one end of the couch and another person on the other couch, and all of a sudden this thing is so light. You can just lift and move and go. Burdens are divided. You are sharing things. You're not carrying this weight all on your own, right? More with the mass of community, right? We can also see, though, that while burdens are divided, blessings are multiplied. 
We look at Acts chapter 2, and in verse 42, um, Luke, the gospel writer, and the writer of Acts, he says this. He talks about the first century church. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look, there are more people. There is more favor. There is more joy. There is more food. <laughs> All <Amen>. these things. <laughs> Amen, right? Amen. All of these things are happening in community with each other. Your blessings are multiplied when you are living your life alongside other people. Right? This is a really beautiful thing. We're going to look at a couple more. Right? If you look at James, James is the, he's the brother of Jesus, right? He's the, he's the brother of Jesus who, imagine being Jesus' little brother. I mean, that'd be tough, right? <laughs> James, he doesn't come to faith in, in Jesus after, until after Jesus resurrects, which is, there's just so much there. It's very interesting. But he realizes that later on in his life that Jesus is the one true son of God. He's not just his brother, he's his Lord. And James here, in, in James chapter 5, he, he, he says that in community, healing takes place, actually, in community. It says, and, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. He says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The righteous person is just the person who is forgiven and saved by Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Mm -hmm. The righteous person does not live a perfect, flawless life because we can't. It's the one who is forgiven. And it says our prayer is powerful and effective just for that. And here, there's something here that can scare people when you talk about this in community. It says, you know, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other, they may be healed. It sounds a little... It's a little scary. sounds a little scary. Just a, sounds a little scary. Listen, in community, there are times where you can just be open and, and good with one another, and there's a sense of um, um, authenticity and, and openness. But it doesn't mean you have to bare your soul to every single person around you. I think if you have one person in your life that you can really share on a deep level, then you're blessed. Right? Try to find one person. And in all of our community groups, there's a strong sense of confidentiality. But I'll tell you this. There are some groups where I think there's an extra amount of healing that takes place. If you have been in freedom session, right, or authentic living that's just coming up in, um, on the first Wednesday in October the 5th, or if you've been in divorce care or grief share, right, if you've been as part of these groups, you realize that sharing amongst people, there is a healing that takes place while we work through these things. Because the seasons that you're in, right? But you're reminded that healing is possible from trauma, right? That there can actually be wholeness on the other side of harm because you're open to people, right? And so James says that there are forgiven Christians, but they're not fully healed yet because they're kind of holding on those things. It's as if they're still hiding, Right? There are groups there, support groups, to help you with those sort of things. Right? Uh, Authentic Looms coming up in October. Uh, grief Share and Freedom Session are coming, or sorry, Grief Share and Divorce Care are coming up in the new year. Okay, just a, just a couple more. Um, another thing that we see, there's strength and protection in numbers. Right? Again, Solomon here in Ecclesiastes. He says here, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. He says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strings is not quickly broken. Okay, here, here, here he is, and, and Solomon's just saying that. Listen, there is strength in numbers. You know there is a covering as being part of the church of Jesus Christ, right? It's not just a covering of King Street Community Church, although there is that, and I believe so. There is a covering as we're adopted sons and daughters brought under the church. It doesn't mean we're free from all ill or harm, but there's a sense that God is here. He's adopted us as his children, and there's safety in that. There's protection. There's safety for eternity that's in that, right? And we look at it here, and we find that really uh, a Jesus-centered community is resilient, Okay? Let me say that again. Jesus-centered community is resilient. And friends, here, here I am, at the risk of being um, hyper, uh, hyperbolic or alarmist, there are communities in our world, maybe whole nations, that are on the verge of collapse. They are on the verge of collapse because they have built on this foundation of sinking sand. They've built on a foundation of divisiveness and these worldviews that just do nothing but separate us from each other, and it helps us to lack empathy for our fellow person, and it's hurting them. And you become very, very vulnerable to collapse when you build on that worldview. But if you build on the rock, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, and the rains and the storms come, you will stand. You will be resilient it's very important to have resilient communities. And friends, it starts here with us. The storms are coming. The storms have come and their moral would come. We have to build on the firm foundation of Christ because the third strand that, um, that Solomon is talking about, that's the, that's the strand of Christ. Have Christ at the center, right? We have to build on the firm foundation of Christ. Do you hear me on that? Yeah. Okay, I want to make sure you're with me. That's important. All right, finally. When we're together, Jesus is present in a different way. In Matthew 18, these are Jesus' words. For two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Praise God for that. Jesus, you're here in this room right now. We acknowledge you, Jesus. We praise you and we lift you up as the one that we glorify. And we thank you for your presence here in this room. It's amazing. It's amazing. Jesus is present in a different way. He's present in a different way when we gather. So, okay, temptation. Uh, you're not alone, right? Because Jesus, he understands you. He's been through temptation. He has so much grace and empathy for you. He knows how weak we are, our flesh, right? We're weakened. He understands Right? It says we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way externally, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Hmm. And Jesus is with you, empowering you through it. Right? We need to just catch ourselves sometimes and really capture your thoughts and say, why am I feeling like this? Why am I tempted to do X, Y, and Z? Just even doing that in the moment and just saying, Lord, please help me. You're on, you're on the other side of victory. Okay? And you can also rest that if you do succumb, he has grace for you too. 
temptation. You're not alone because Jesus is with you. You're also not alone because you have brothers and sisters here who understand what you're going through, right? In 1 Corinthians, it says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow you, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. So when you're tempted, he will show you a way out that you can endure, right? Ask for that way out, friends. You're hearing this message today? The second you go out those doors, you're going to be tempted. Ask for a way out and recognize it because it's in God's word. And I want to do like Jesus did, and I want to call out to God's word and say, mm-hmm. Jesus, you said you'd make a way for me. Mm-hmm. Make, find out what that way is. Ask him and believe it. That's how you combat the enemy of our souls. One of the ways that you can endure in temptation is to be present in community because you know what? You need someone. And more than that, someone needs you. Someone needs you, actually. You say, oh, well, yeah, I don't really need it. I'm, I'm okay, I'm good. No, someone needs your presence in community. My small group is lacking because some of you aren't there. Alicia and the young adults, they're lacking because some of you aren't there. We need each other in this, okay? We're having a small group launch right after the gathering. It's right in the fusion room. You just go out those doors. You go up the steps and to the right. And you're going to have a couple minutes. We're we're going to need a couple minutes just to flip the fusion room around. But you're going to get a chance to join a group, right? If you've gotten communication from me, you're already part of a group, we'll connect you with your leaders. If you haven't already, just come out there. We're going to connect you with a table. This is your chance to live your life together so you're not vulnerable on your own, right? There's also donuts, okay? And coffee. And coffee. And and tea. There's also donuts. (laughs) Am I bribing you? Maybe. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. Shameless, shameless. <laughs> Tim Hortons on, uh, on um, close to Park there, right? In, uh, in the, which plaza? It's in the Burger King plaza, right? Right there. They donated 10 dozen donuts. 10 dozen. dozen. Yeah, a dozen. 120 donuts. That is so good. That is so good. I was saying, hey, can we get a little deal, get a little discount? <laughs> uh, you know, any, any dollar I could save, I was happy. They're like, we'll give them all to you for free. I said, God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. They've been so lovely to us. Friends, um, we're going to pray, okay? And uh, just remind yourself that you have a friend in Jesus who understands you. You have a friend in Jesus who lavishes you with grace. Just understand that when we do sin, because we do, we don't live this life perfectly, you can run to the God who loves you, okay? You're never too far from God. You're never at your worst moment, right? That's not who defines you. Just keep short accounts with God and just keep going forward. Keep running to him. Don't hide. We have this tendency to hide. Just remind yourself of that. It's true today. It's true today. And you have each other. We need each other. Someone needs you, and you need someone. We're going to pray, and Pastor Al is going to come up. Let's pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Lord, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses or our debts, Lord, as we also forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us, Lord, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, 
the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Am